I talk a lot about spiritual practices. I think they matter enormously. Before we get too deep into all of that, I have to clear something up. Spiritual practices, no matter how great they are, are not what matters most. Hey friends, I'm Mark Alanchelski, and this is The Apprenticeship Way, a podcast about learning how to live life with Jesus. This is episode 10, Don't Mistake the Trellis for the Grape. Today I want to tell you a weird story from the earliest moments of Christianity, and then talk about an often overlooked crucial ingredient in spiritual growth. And as we go, we're also going to talk a little bit about grapes and wine and trellises. Yeah, trellises. First, the weird story. Before there were people called Christians, there was a small group of Jewish people who were compelled by what they saw and heard in the life and teaching of this itinerant rabbi named Jesus. They were pretty sure that this guy was not just a teacher, that maybe he was even the divine fulfillment of an ancient promise. They had a word for this promise. Messiah, the anointed one. The one that God was going to send to usher in a whole new, a whole new way of living, a whole new kind of government, a new era. And then, you probably know the story. Jesus didn't pan out, at least not the way they expected at first. The religious leaders from the powerful establishment didn't like the idea of Jesus having followers, and the civil government, which was a puppet government with strings pulled by the Roman Empire, didn't like the idea of anything challenging the status quo or the ultimate authority and lordship of the Roman emperor, and so Jesus ends up on the cross. Now, a couple thousand years later, we have lots and lots of theological ideas about why this happened and what it means and how it impacts our lives today. But that's not the point of my story that I'm telling you right now. That little group of Jewish people who had thought that maybe Jesus was the divine fulfillment of God's promise of restoration and new life, that little group was decimated when Jesus was crucified. And then something happened. If you were in that group, then you'd know about things like Jesus' appearance to a bunch of different people, or Jesus showing up in the upper room even though he was supposed to be dead, or Jesus appearing to Thomas and letting him touch his hands where the crucifixion wounds were. And even after that, appearing and giving these same followers a commission, a job that they were to follow through on, continuing Jesus' mission. But if you were outside that little group, as most people were, you probably didn't know about any of this. But if you were in Jerusalem, about seven weeks later, you might have heard about something crazy happening. This story is recounted in the book of Acts, which is a book written about the experiences of those first few years of this little group of followers of Jesus. I'm going to read you some of this story, and then we'll talk about how we have often missed the point. You can find this story in the book of Acts, chapter 2, if you want to check it out for yourself. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, that was a Jewish holiday about seven weeks after Jesus' death, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like that of violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. And tongues, like flames of fire that were divided, appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Now, if that's not crazy enough, the story gets weirder. Uh, verse 4, Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different languages as the Spirit gave them the ability for speech. So they were all having some kind of ecstatic, mystical experience. But those are normally private and subjective. They usually happen for just you. And while they feel powerfully real to you, nobody outside your head even knows what's going on. 
But this situation was different because all of a sudden this whole group are speaking languages that they've never spoken before. Not, not gobbledygook, real languages. We know that because other people who were around them understood them. And then something like flames of fire appeared and uh, all of a sudden these uneducated hicks were suddenly speaking fluently languages from places they'd never been, languages they'd never learned. And something like that, that draws a crowd. Now since it was Pentecost, this big Jewish holiday, and since they were in Jerusalem, there were pilgrims in Jerusalem from all over the Mediterranean world. And they heard these Jesus followers, these people who just a few weeks before had been completely decimated, completely wiped out, they heard these Jesus followers speaking in their own native languages. And so, of course, a crowd gathers. And Peter, who was kind of a leader in this little community, got up to speak. We're not drunk. That's how Peter started his sermon. It's a great opening line, right? We're not drunk. Something is going on here, but it's not that. And then Peter laid out the story of Jesus. And he wove into that story Jewish scripture and the prophecies of the Messiah. And he talked about Jesus' crucifixion. And he declared against all reason that Jesus had been resurrected. And then something happened in this moment that was way more than just Peter talking. This was not Peter being persuasive. This was divine spirit moving in people's hearts. I'm going to read again. This is Acts 2, verse 37. When they heard this, Peter's preaching, they came under deep conviction, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what must we do? Repent, Peter said to them, and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And man, people actually responded. I mean, there was no onboarding program. There were no small groups for people to take Bible studies in. There was no brochure or PowerPoint. Acts 2, 41 and 42 says that this moment changed people's lives. This is what it says. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now that crazy event is what today we often think of as the birthday of the Christian church. Peter preached, crowds responded with a desire for a changed life, and a new community was formed. Now I've been a church kid all my life. I've been in professional full-time ministry for 23 years this year. I've been in church services almost every week for my whole existence. I've personally been a part, deeply a part, of five different church congregations in my life. I've known hundreds of pastors. And I'll tell you that that event I just told you about is something everyone wants to relive. I mean, somebody who gets up and makes an incredible presentation about Jesus, and the Spirit is in the room, and people are convicted, and they want to change their lives. And this is the key thing that we hope for. The church grows by leaps and bounds. The church grows. That's something we really want. And that usually means a certain congregation or a certain denomination gets more members, more attendees, more people giving and serving and showing up at events. And everybody in the church system wants that. They want church growth. There's even a whole industry devoted to it. There's a church growth movement and church growth books and church growth conferences and curriculum all about how you can get that moment to happen you can grow the church. But when you look closely at this crazy story I just told you, none of the things that Christians do today to try and grow the church make any sense at all. 
I mean, what did that little community of Jesus followers do to grow the church? What did Peter do to grow the church? Nothing. This is not something they made happen. This is something that happened to them. And the critical ingredient, the catalyst for it all, is something a bit weird and mystical. And maybe for some of us, a little awkward to talk about, depending on how we grew up. The catalyst was the Holy Spirit. See, you can have people in a room, but that doesn't make a church. You can have people who like and appreciate the message of Jesus and want to talk about it together, but that doesn't make a church. You can sing Christian songs and preach Christian messages, but that doesn't make a church either. The thing that makes the church is the Holy Spirit. But this isn't a podcast about building a church. This is a podcast about you and I growing up spiritually. So how does this story matter for us? Well, because the same thing that creates and grows a church is what grows you and I. When we talk about having a relationship with God, that's made possible by the Holy Spirit. When we talk about living in an ongoing sense of God's presence, that is made possible by the Holy Spirit. When we talk about renewing our minds or being transformed or growing up in the image of Christ, all of that is made possible by the Holy Spirit. Now, maybe that language is hard for you. Maybe it's too churchy or it carries baggage. So call it divine spirit or call it the indwelling presence. Call it whatever you like. I don't care. The fact of the matter is that there is a powerful personage who moves in and through us and spirit is what makes connection with the divine and growth in spiritual things possible. We grow because the Holy Spirit is at work. Now, as you know, I make a big deal about spiritual practices. I've learned that most of life is really just habits of mind and body. And spiritual practices are ways that we nurture life-giving habits. So whether that is traditional spiritual practices like worship or meditating on scripture or prayer or service, or whether that's other practices like a first things first routine in the morning or journaling for spiritual growth or sitting with a counselor or a therapist or a spiritual director or a million other things that can help us lean into renewal of our minds. These practices help us grow in Christ. But, however, I, I want to be clear, these practices aren't magic. They don't change us in themselves. They matter for one reason only. They support us in being open to the Spirit. And that's the goal. Sometime back, I had the chance to sit under the teaching of Dr. Len Sweet, He's like this modern-day prophet and provocateur, uh, not in the predictions and end-times nonsense sort of way. I don't mean that. Dr. Sweet has this incredible insight for looking at the world and culture as it is and the nature of the human heart and challenging the church in how we go about our lives in ways that really are impactful in the world. And he always, always, always calls us back to Jesus, but without all the barnacles and attachment of 2,000 years of church calcification. So when Dr. Sweet spoke, he painted a word picture I'd never heard before that perfectly captured the important distinction between the spiritual practices we engage in and the necessary work of the Spirit. I'd like to share it with you. Here in Portland, where I live, we're not too far from vineyards. Within about a 150-mile circle, there are more than 500 wineries. So it's not uncommon, out past the edges of town, to drive past a field of wine grapes. You've probably seen them too. If not near you where you live, then you've seen them in pictures or in movies. You see the wine grapes growing on the vines all in rows. But then look closer. All those wine fields with wine grapes growing in rows have trellises. 
you can't really have a vineyard without them. You see, wine grapes, they grow on vines, and the kind of vine that they grow on isn't strong enough to support itself when it's young, so the vine would just spread across the ground. The trellis is what holds the young vines up off the ground. Without a trellis, what happens? The vines would just spread out, and what would that mean? It would mean the grapes would sit on the ground. They'd get dirty, they'd get wet, they'd get diseased, they'd be malformed, they'd rot before they could be harvested. The harvest time would be incredibly difficult. It's the trellis that prevents all of that. Now eventually, when the vine is much older, it becomes a lot stronger. In certain grape varieties, the vine comes to even resemble a small tree trunk. But without that trellis to train the vine upward, it would just become a stronger tangle of vines all over the ground. So that trellis is very important. Now here's something interesting I didn't know. There isn't just one kind of trellis. Some farmers like tall vertical trellises. Some like short trellises. Some trellises are just one horizontal member between posts. Some are several stacked up. Some are made of wires. Some are made of wooden beams. The kind of trellis a farmer uses will depend on a whole bunch of factors. The variety of the grape, the amount of sun or shade that the farmer wants the grape to receive, the kind of harvesting technique they plan on using. It's a whole complicated thing. Now, imagine the wine grape farmers arguing over this, fighting about which kind of trellis is best. Right? You, can, you could soon have factions, right? You could have the tall trellis people versus the short trellis people, and the horizontal fence trellis people versus the wire stretched between post trellis people. And if they got really excited about this, they could have their own conferences and their own schools for training people to build trellises, and they could have stacks of books explaining the theory of why their trellis is the best kind of trellis, and they could even, this is the best part, they could even look down on all the other grape farmers who trellis in the wrong way. Are you with me? I'm not talking about wine anymore. With all the focus on trellises, you might forget that trellises aren't even the point. Trellises are important. You can't have healthy grapes without them. But trellises are not the goal. What's the goal? Grapes. Grapes and ultimately wine is the goal. Now think about what this image means for spiritual growth, particularly since the vine was a favorite metaphor that Jesus used. Theology is important. Theology gives us a way to talk about God and life. Our particular brand of theology is like the window we choose to look through. It matters. We can't talk about God without doing theology. But theology was never the point. The relationship, that branch connected to the vine relationship, was all that ever mattered. Spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices are important. These are the practices that help us build new habits of thinking and seeing and paying attention to God. These practices matter. Is worship your thing? Do you swear by journaling? Do you walk labyrinths and meditate? Do you do daily Bible studies? Do you put God is here now post-it notes all over your house so you're constantly reminded to think about God? Do you do a morning devotional practice? I mean, these kinds of spiritual practices matter. They give us a tangible way to tend the garden of our hearts. But spiritual practice was never the point. The relationship that branch connected to the vine relationship was all that ever really mattered. These farmers who grow wine grapes need trellises. The trellises are an essential tool that serves the greater goal of sweet grapes and beautiful wine. People who think about God need theology. It's an essential tool that helps us be more clear when we speak about who God is and who we are. People who want to grow spiritually need spiritual disciplines. 
These are essential tools that give us practical ways to tend the soil of our heart. But never, 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 ever, never, ever mistake the trellis for the grape. The grape gets its life from the vine. The life flows through the vine. The trellis has nothing to do with the life. The trellis simply allows the grape to grow in a healthy direction. It helps the grape to flourish, but the trellis isn't the life. You and I are connected to Jesus. Jesus is the source of our life, but it is the Holy Spirit that flows. It is the Holy Spirit that allows us to live in that connection right now. Jesus said, you'll, you'll find this in John chapter 14, verse 20, Jesus said, in that day, you will know that I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. The way that verse is true for us right now is the Holy Spirit. The reason you are never alone is because through the Holy Spirit, God is with you. The reason we can say that Jesus walks with you through the course of your day is because of the Holy Spirit. The way that God hears your prayers is the Holy Spirit. Our prayers are not the spiritual equivalent of tin can telephones with strings stretched to infinity. Our prayers are the equivalent of whispering in the ear of someone who loves you, someone who is so near to you, you can feel them next to you. And that is because the Spirit dwells within you. In this podcast, and on my blog, and in my online courses, I spend a lot of time talking about different practical tools you can use to build the habit of paying attention to God. I talk about lots of different spiritual practices because we are different people. All of us are different. And the habits that work for me won't be exactly the habits that work for you. And so by talking about many different ways of experiencing and pressing into a relationship with God, I hope that you will find something that helps you. But in the middle of all that, I don't want to paint the picture that those practices are actually the thing that matters most. And for the grape farmer, the goal is always good grapes. Trellises are just a way to get there. For the spiritual person who wants to know God more, the goal is always connection. Theology, spiritual practices, worship, Bible study, these things are trellises. They're tools, important tools, but still just tools so that the Spirit can more freely do the Spirit's work in us. That's the key. That's what made that crazy story of the day of Pentecost amazing. That's what builds healthy churches now, and it's how we can be connected to God in this very moment. Because the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, dwells in you. May you feel the movement of God's Spirit in your inner places, and may you begin to learn how to discern when what you feel within you is just bad pizza or emotional baggage or your own unhealthy mental habits or when it truly is the indwelling Spirit of God speaking to you. Thanks for listening. If you like what you're hearing here in my podcast, you can bring it to your people. I'm now scheduling speaking engagements through 2019, and I would be thrilled to come speak at your church or retreat, school, nonprofit. I talk about practical spiritual growth just like this. I talk about why our inner life matters. And I also talk about emotional discipleship, where we learn how to grow up emotionally. That's the topic of my book, the wisdom of your heart, discovering the God-given power and purpose of your emotions. And I would love to bring this message to your community. If you'd like to check my availability, there's a link in the show notes that can get that conversation started. Oh, and if you want more material like this, 
then subscribe to my email list. I email about twice a month with new blog posts and links to other things that I think might be of benefit in your spiritual journey. And right now I'm currently giving away a six week email course on how to journal for spiritual growth. That's one of those trellis practices. So if you subscribe to my email, you'll get that course right in your inbox. I'd be grateful if you take a moment to rate or review this podcast on iTunes or Apple's new podcast app, since that's a great way to help other people discover it. And of course, you'll find the show notes for today's episode, including all the scriptures and links I just mentioned at www.markallenshelsky.com forward slash TAW010. 010, because this is the 10th episode. That's pretty exciting. But here's what matters most. Until next time, remember, in this one present moment, you are loved, you are known, and you are not alone.